This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. You know where we're going tonight then? To the eighth book of the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Uh, we were here this morning, and uh, we need to just uh, finish it tonight. It's just one of those uh, beautiful books of the Old Testament. There are only two books in the Old Testament uh, with the name of a woman entitled Ruth and Esther. Both of them are fantastic books, tremendous woman of God. And uh, this is one of those books that absolutely brings out the truth of Christ, our Redeemer. So the title of the message is Ruth, <coughs> Romance, and Redemption. Uh, we mentioned this morning that uh, this family, they lived in Bethlehem, house of bread, but there was a famine in the land, so there was no bread in the house of bread. It was the time of the judges when they ruled, it was a very turbulent time, over 500 years of history, uh, of all kinds of problems. They were invaded by their neighbors. They compromised a lot. Uh, there was a lot of poverty. There was, a lot of, there was even civil war. There was times they were taken over by their neighbors. So it was a very difficult season. And this godly family, uh, obviously, is in the midst of this. When this famine came, and uh, whether you were good or bad or indifferent, the famine hit everybody. Uh, they were no different than that. They had to suffer along with everybody else. And it seemed to be they got to the stage where uh, what land they had, uh, they either had to sell it or they had to mortgage it, uh, but it was no longer in their control. And then they made that fateful mistake. They decided rather than stay where God wanted them to be, which was in, which was in Bethlehem, in the land where God uh, would meet their needs and fulfill his promises to them. It was the covenant place. Instead of that, they decided they would uh, up and go to Moab, which was a wicked land, a wicked people, an idolatrous pagan people. And we're not going into all the stuff that they got up to. We talked about that this morning. And so they were there over a period of 10 years. And it seemed to be fairly quickly that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, that he died. What of, we do not know. And so that was a bitter blow to her, obviously. Now she's a widow on a foreign land, and they're already struggling financially, uh, probably down to zero. And, uh, but then she had two sons, Malon and Kilion, and in the process of time, they married two Moabitish women, Orpah and Ruth. And then, worse still, both her sons died. And so within that space of 10 years, uh, she had three funerals and two weddings. And there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of mourning. There was a lot of hardship. And then, after 10 years, she got word that God had visited his people again and that there was now bread again in the house of bread. So she decided that she would return, and uh, she tried to dissuade her two daughters-in-law to come back with her because the chances of them finding husbands as Moabites in Israel was probably zero, and she knew that. So she tried to dissuade them, and eventually she did dissuade Orpah, who kissed her mother-in-law and left, went back to her gods and to her people. But Ruth clung to her 
and said, I am not leaving you, I am staying with you. And we read this morning how in verse uh, 16, 17, that wonderful statement she made, and part of that she said, your God will be my God. And so we, we, we think that implies that it's at that point that she fully embraced the God of Israel and that uh, she came into Judaism and she left those old gods behind her. And so the two of them go on and they come to Bethlehem. And as they near Bethlehem, the word goes out that Naomi's coming back and she must have been a popular woman because all the women of the town went out to greet her. But then they said, is this Naomi? Uh, obviously, those 10 years of hardship and mourning and grief and sadness and loss had taken their toll. Even physically, she just looked horrible. I mean, and poverty-stricken uh, to boot. Uh, but she said to them, now, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And so it seems to be that she was angry at God, blaming God on our misfortunes, knowing that probably some feeling of remorse that they went to Moab when they shouldn't have done that, and, and, and now feeling that God's against me, and God's punishing me. And uh, so she says, don't call me pleasant, I'm, I'm bitter, and God has dealt very bitterly with me. And, uh, but at least she had this young daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess, uh, with her. And so they came uh, at the beginning of the barley harvest. And little did she know, as I said this morning, little did she know when she was angry at God and she was bitter and she was upset and maybe angry at herself and all this anger and bitterness was building up and building up, little did she know that that very period of her life that God himself was planning good for her. God was planning something so special in her life that here we are 3,000 years later and we're still talking about it. How good is that? And so we come now to chapter 2, and this is where the scene begins to change. It says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Now that tells us immediately that they were so poor, they must have had nothing, that all was left to them was for the young woman, because Naomi's older now, she can't do this, to go in and glean some corn, ear corns in the harvest field. Now, the Levitical law that God gave to Moses was that the poor and the stranger in the land, when it came harvest time, that they could follow after the reapers. When the reapers had gone through the field, that whatever was left, whatever scraps was left, whatever ears of corn was left, they could pick them up. And they weren't allowed to cut the corners of their fields. And they had to leave a shock of corn in the middle of the field. That was for the poor and the stranger in the land. So God was being benevolent and, and blessed the poor. Now, of a day of just picking up the scraps, maybe if you're fortunate, you maybe got enough to eat that night. You maybe got, and if you're really fortunate, you maybe got enough to eat the next day. Uh, it just depended on how much was left. So that shows you they were in dire straits. And so this young uh, Moabitish woman, Ruth, said, look, I'll go out to the fields and, and I'll follow after the reapers and, and we'll get some food. At least we'll get some food in our bellies tonight if, if I do this. And so she did that not knowing which field she was going to go to. 
This is the first time she's done this. So he said, I'll just go and I'll just see, I'll have a look and see if, if, if they will let me do it. Because now you remember, she's from Moab. She's not an Israelite. And so there might be a chance that even though it's God's law, that whoever owns the field might say, well, it's God's law, but this is for the Israelites, not for the Moabites. So, you know, sling your hook, you're not coming into my field. So she took the chance and to do that. So please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. That's all she said. Didn't commend her. Didn't encourage her. Wasn't very positive. Just, okay, just go. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. And it happened. You know, maybe to her, it just seemed to be like happenstance. Well, I've been fortunate today. But actually, this was the providence of God. She didn't know that, but this was the leading of God. This was God leading her, unknown to her, right to the very field that he wanted her to be in. She'll find this out later, of course. <clears throat> now behold, Boaz came from the Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Wouldn't that be nice if you went to work tomorrow morning and your boss says, The Lord be with you. The Lord protect you today. The Lord bless you today. And wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be a shock if you turned around and said to him, and the Lord bless you too. <laughs> wouldn't it be a happier working environment if that was to happen, wouldn't it? Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Ah, he caught her eye. Whose young woman is this? She was a little bit different than the rest. He'd never seen her before. Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. There was a, probably a lunchtime break and she went with the rest to rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? <laughs> so sexual harassment in the workplace didn't start with the Me Too Brigade and Ari Weinstein situation. It's been in cultures forever. And he knew that. And knowing that she was a Moabite, knowing that she was single, knowing that she was vulnerable, he said, now, fellas, I'm telling you, do not do anything inappropriate. Don't speak to her the wrong way. D -d certainly don't touch her or you're in trouble. That's what he's saying. And so he immediately is, is caring for this young woman. There's something just about this young woman that's attractive to him and he wants to help her and he's thinking about her and he's compassionate. He says, when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She was shocked. She really wasn't expecting this. 
She probably went out that morning thinking, do you know what, I have to do this, but really this is going to be tough and they're going to laugh at me and they'll maybe say rude things to me and they'll maybe not even want me to be in their face. And yet here's this man and he's just been going overboard to try to help her. But Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so he made inquiries probably from the one who was in charge of the reapers, and said, tell me more, tell me about this young woman. Well, here's what I know. And boy, he was impressed. This, this was good. This was a good report. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her, at me time, come here, and eat, eat and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread into the vinegar. The vinegar was the, was the, it was old wine. It was like what you call plunk. You know, it wasn't the dear stuff, you know, but it was for lunch and it was the workers and that was fine. That was okay. So that, that's what they called vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers and she passed parched grain to her. That was roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied. So she had a full lunch. And she kept some back. Why did she keep some back? Because she's thinking about her mother-in-law. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. That's a privilege. That's a privilege, actually. Because they were supposed to wait until the reapers had done the whole field and gone on ahead and did everything and just whatever was left. They weren't supposed to be among the sheaves. That was the reaper's job. So he says, let her, let her glean even among the sheaves, not just the corners of the fields, but right behind you in the sheaves. Let her glean there. And also let grain, and do not reproach her. Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. In other words, when she's not looking, make sure you take a handful of grain, and just, when she's not looking, just drop it. So that when she comes to it, she'll think, oh, look, they missed a big bit here. But actually, that was on purpose. And isn't that like our God? As long as we're in his field and we're on the path that we should be, we're following his instructions, then he will drop handfuls of purpose for our life mm -hmm. along the way. And you may find one tomorrow or maybe next week or maybe next year. But God has already placed handfuls of his purpose for your life all along the pathway. All you've got to do is keep walking on, keep in that straight line, and you'll walk into those blessings. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. That's actually quite a lot. That would, that would be probably dear for a couple of days. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out, of, out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So what lunch she couldn't eat, she gave it to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? She was surprised because she'd come back with so much. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Whoever it was, I tell you, girl, you've been blessed today. Somebody's taken notice of you today. 
So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. When she says one of our close relatives, in Hebrew it's Goel, and it means one of our redeemers, a kinsman of ours who is a redeemer. We'll tell you more about that in a moment. And Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now the harvest, they arrived at the time of the barley harvest, but then there'd be the wheat harvest, and there'd be weeks and weeks and weeks. In fact, this would probably be over three months. So she's going to be blessed for quite a while here. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go, that you go out with, this, with his young woman and that people do not meet you in any other field. Notice what, in verse 21, what Ruth had said. Did you catch that? Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young man. <laughs> Actually, in verse 9, he says, he says, Stay close by my young woman. But she says, By my young man. But Naomi corrects her in that. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman and that people do not meet you in any other field. You say, Well, what did the young woman do? Remember the reapers, the young woman would come along after the reapers and they would lay out bands so that the reapers could put those sheaves in a band and tie them up and stack them up. So that was their job, to come along by and lay a band out so then they could be stacked up. That was what their job was. So you stay close to the young woman, go along and get in among those sheaves. That's what, they, what the, uh, Boaz said. So she stayed close by the young woman of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? In other words, my daughter, shall I not find a husband for you? Shall I not get you some security and rest? That's what she's actually saying. Now, Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So at night time, which was a cooler time, it's the time the breeze got up, that's the time when they would winnow. You know, they would get the corn, they would beat it, and when it was beaten, it would be full of chaff, and so they would stick the winnowing prong in, and they would throw it up and let the wind blow through it, and then the grains would fall and the chaff would blow away. That was done at night time when it was cooler and the breeze had got up. So they always did that at night. And then they stayed in the field because in case people would steal, their, steal their, their harvest. So she said, therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Ah, so put on your best frock. Make sure you're washed and anoint it. Put some of that nice anointing oil on that's fragrant. Put a wee dab or two behind your ear. 
You know what I mean? Make yourself look good and attractive and smell good. Put your best frock on because before that, you know, she probably just put on maybe her widow's frock. She says, no, put your best frock on. That makes sure he notices you. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. The uncovering of the feet in ancient times as part of modesty, of, of deference to the husband, when the husband would get into bed, his wife would go to the bottom of the bed, rather than just piling beside him, go to the bottom of the bed, uncover his feet, and crawl up that way and beside him. So Sally, you should try that tonight. <laughs> I think the shock would have faint. <laughs> But in this case, she wouldn't crawl up and beside him. She'd uncover his feet and she would just lie down. Right. So actually, what is really happening here? This is a marriage proposal. And this was a bold thing to do. But the reputation that Boaz had was a man of integrity, a man of honesty. What he told the young men not to touch her then, Naomi felt confident that he would not do anything that was inappropriate to this young woman. He would not take any advantage at all. But it was still a bold thing to do because in actual fact, she's getting her to make a marriage proposal. Now, weeks had gone on and she probably expected because he's the kinsman redeemer. He's the one to redeem us. I'll tell you what that means in a moment. But he should have been doing this by now, but he's not. So we're going to give him a wee bit of encouragement here. <laughs> He's taking too much time. And it's getting near the end of the harvest, so let's, we need to do something here. We need to find out one way or the other. And she says, he'll tell you what to do. You'll know tonight whether, whether he's going to marry you or whether he's not. Because he could wake up and tell you to clear off. So we're going to find out. We're going to, actually, that's what's, what's going to happen. And... Uh, and she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went, down to lie, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. It's not every night you wake up and another woman's lying at your feet. Sure it's not. No wonder the man was startled, the poor man. And he turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? I mean, it's pitch black. He has no idea who this is. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Not Ruth the Moabitess here. I'm Ruth, your maidservant. And then she says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. You are a kinsman redeemer. Take me under your wing. In other words, marry me. That's what that means. Take me under your wing. Now, she's borrowing from what he said to her in verse 12, when he says, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And she says, okay, now you, you, you take me under your wing. I'm under God's wing, and you, and you said that, but now you take me under your wing. And 
even in some Jewish weddings today, it was mainly long ago, but even some today, it depends which branch of Judaism you belong to. But the talith, the, the prayer shawl that the man wears, and often he'll wear this at a wedding, where he'll unwrap part of it and put it around his bride-to-be. In a sense, he's taken her under his wing. And he's saying, I'll protect you. I'll guard you. I'll look after you from this point on. So this is the reference here, taken under the wing. In Psalm 36, in verse 7, it says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wing. And of course, in Psalm 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fire and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. Jesus borrowed this phrase also. Remember what he said about Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that stoned the prophets. How often would I have gathered you as a hen to gather her chicks under her wings, but you would not? You see, when the hen's got its little chicks, if the little chicks move from under the wings and they're maybe feeding, and there's then the slightest bit of danger they feel, they immediately run underneath the wings of mother hen, don't they? If there's a bird of prey, or if there's a storm coming and the first raindrops, they immediately go underneath the wings for protection, for safety. And God is our protector and our safety, and we dwell under the shadow of his wings. But this is what she says, she says, you take me under your wing. Modern Jewish weddings today, they have something called the chuppah, the chuppah is like, a, it's like a frame covered over either with cloth or with maybe branches and leaves, and they stand under that to say their vows. And in a sense, it's saying, look, I'm taking you under my roof, under my protection. So all of this is an allusion to marriage. And, and in a way, she's popping the question. Uh, in, a, in a way, that's what she's doing. But she's following Scripture because he is the the near relative, so he's going to be the redeemer of her. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. So this tells us that this is an older man, a much older man. And maybe this is the reason why he didn't. Maybe the, I think there was two reasons why he didn't, why he was a bit slow in moving forward in this relationship. Because he's an older man, and she's a beautiful young woman. And he probably didn't think he would have a chance. And he was a single man for many years. And he probably thought, do you know what? I have no chance, even though I'm rich. But she could get probably anybody she wanted, whether rich or poor. But she's asking me. Huh. 
He says, you've done better than the end at the beginning. But what was really impressing him was not even the fact that he was old and she was young and she wanted to marry him, but the fact that she was following the laws of God. She was following scripture principles. Regardless of what age he was or what he looked like or what money he had or didn't have, she was following the principles of scripture. And that really impressed him. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you, have not, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another, so before daylight, then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Let's not have any gossip. You know, let's be wise in dealing with this. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it out. And then he, she held it out. He measured six ephahs, six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. This is as much as she could carry. This was a lot. This was going to do her and Naomi at least maybe two or three weeks. Then, he, then she came to her mother-in-law and she said, is that you, my daughter? Commentators are divided in that. It's a, it's a kind of a mysterious statement. Is that you, my daughter? Remember, it's just still dark yet, so maybe she didn't recognize, but who else was going to go to her house at that time of day? Some think that maybe what she was saying, which is, is that you, my daughter, or my daughter-in-law, means the same thing. Is that you, my daughter? Is she trying to say... Are you still my daughter-in-law? Or are you going to be the wife of Boaz? <laughs> What's it going to be? Because you remember she said, Boaz is going to tell you what to do. You'll find out tonight one way or the other. So is that you, my daughter? Are you still my daughter-in-law? Or are you going to be Mrs. Boaz? <laughs> Maybe that's what she's saying. Then she told all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty, hand it to your mother-in-law. Well, that's a good start for your mother-in-law, isn't it? That's get a relationship with your mother-in-law, give her a big present, that's a good start, isn't it? All you young men are about to get married, make sure you give your mother-in-law a good present. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Now, kinsman redeemer in Israel if somebody got into debt and they had to sell their land land was very precious and God had a system that whereby the, the land of the people of Israel had to stay within that tribe within that clan that, that meant that people who were very rich could not just override the wishes of the poor uh, so if somebody got into debt, had to sell their land, then the nearest relative to them, if they could afford it, the nearest relative to them could buy that land back, pay that debt, buy that land back, and give it back to the original owner. By the way, if the year of Jubilee came, then all land, 
was given back to the original owners. 50 years, the year of Jubilee. But in the event that it's a long way to the year of Jubilee, then if somebody else, our near relative, could buy that and redeem that land back to the original owner. Or if the person themselves, <laughs> say, say they, in a sense, could not pay their debt and says, look, I'll work for you. I'll be your slave, in a sense. An indentured slave is somebody who works to pay off their debt, however long that takes. Then again, a near relative, a kinsman, a redeemer, a goel, they could say, you know what? I'll pay that debt for you and release you from that obligation and set you free again. Or, take this a little bit further regarding this, in their case, uh, the land had either been sold to somebody or had been mortgaged to somebody, but it wasn't within their uh, jurisdiction any longer. But it'd be good if they could get that back. They should be able to get this back. But it's going to take a near relative to do this for them. And, and in order to do this, uh, they, would, they would have to actually to meet with the, the council, 10 men of the city who would, who would witness this deal being done. And they would need them to, to buy that land back. And uh, if the person had died, for instance, then they would have to marry the widow of the person who died as well. They have to redeem the widow as well as the land. And then if they had any children, if that widow bore this new husband any children, the children actually would be as counted as children of her former husband, her, 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 her husband who had died, and the land and his children would belong to him through her. Sounds a wee bit complicated, but that's the way that it was. In a sense, it was really very fair. So that, just to set that scene a little bit, so now Boaz is in a position, he says, yeah, he says, the only thing is, yes, I am a near relative, the only thing is there's one who's nearer than me. Now, this may have been a, a brother of Elimelech, could have been a cousin of Elimelech, we don't know who it was, doesn't tell us, but it was a near relative. So he's going to get first shout. So Boaz says, look, as much as I'd want to do this, but this nearer relative than me, he's going to get first shout at this. So as quickly as he could, in chapter 4, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to her brother Elimelech, and I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants, the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Huh. He thought, Do you know what? I'm going to get a piece of land here. I'll probably get a good deal to get a good price for this piece of land. I'll have more land. That's what he's thinking. He said, I will redeem it. But then Boaz dropped the bombshell. Boaz said, but on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Ah, that changes everything. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. That could mean two things. Maybe he didn't want a Moabite wife. 
maybe means three things. Maybe he already was married, couldn't do it. He couldn't marry another one. He'd buy the land, but he couldn't marry her. Or if he was a widower, and if he even single, and if he married Ruth, and she had children, remember she was married to Mahlon, and say, his man died, then all that inheritance would not go to his family, it would go to her family. It would be in her name. So suddenly, it wasn't a good deal as far as he was concerned, and he says, I don't want it. I, don't, I can't redeem it. Now this was the custom. So he says, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man had to take his sandal off his sandal and give it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. So to take off the sandal, give it to another, in a sense is saying, now you are the legal owner. You're the only one who can legally walk on that land. And that was a sign of that contract Rather than sign a contract in front of witnesses, you gave the sandal. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Kilion's, all that was Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his people at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built up the house of Israel. Many of the tribes came through those two. And, uh, and may your house be like the house of Perez. Uh, some translation says Phares, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. That's where the Bethlehemites came through from that lineage. So may you be blessed. May you have many children. And uh, see, this was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, kinsman redeemer. In this story, it is Boaz. He's the one who redeems the land. He's the one who redeems the woman. He is the redeemer. This is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We were poor. We had nothing. We were indebted. We had nothing. Nothing. But our Redeemer came and he redeemed us. He bought us back. In fact, we were sold into sin and slavery of this world. That's what Paul teaches. But our Redeemer came and he bought us back. Glory to God. He is our kinsman Redeemer. Now, a kinsman Redeemer had to fulfill three things. First of all, he had to be a close relative. A close relative. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that Christ, for us, was a close relative. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says in verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, 
Christ says, He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were in all their lifetimes subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. In all things he had to be made like his brethren. So he became one of us. He became a human being, flesh, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, without the sin. So he had to be a close relative. You can't get any closer. He's our elder brother. Secondly, he had to be willing to be a redeemer. The one who was the closest relative in this particular instance wasn't willing to be the redeemer, but Christ was willing to be our redeemer, wasn't he? He was the one who, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 5 and 7, therefore he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you had prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So he was willing to be our kinsman redeemer. And thirdly, he had to be able to be our kinsman redeemer. At the beginning of the Ruth, it told us right away that, that Boaz was a wealthy man, very wealthy. So he could afford to buy the land and to redeem Ruth and Naomi. He could afford to do it. He was wealthy. Christ had to be able to buy us and to redeem us. And it wouldn't be with money. Peter says it wouldn't be with silver and gold, but it would be with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing. So we are bought with a price, the blood of Christ. That's what it cost him. It cost him everything. But he was willing and he was able. In fact, he was the only one who was able to redeem us. So he is our kinsman redeemer. Amen. There's much more we could say about that, but I think you get the picture. Now, let's just read and finish this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative or without a kinsman redeemer. And may his name be famous in Israel. Well, his name is famous in Israel. In fact, at the Feast of Pentecost, the Jews read the book of Ruth. It's one of the things they read. So Boaz to this day is still famous. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. One time a, a gentleman uh, made me a little, a little plaque. I wish you could find it. Because I had said about my daughter Claire, because we only have the one child and it's her daughter, I said to her, you're better to me than seven sons. <laughs> and he heard me saying that 
and he made a little plaque with that. And she is better to me than seven sons, by the way. And I remind her that often. But anyway, her, if she'd have had seven sons, by the way, probably I would have married and moved away. But this one's going to stay. Better to you than seven sons. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and she became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, Where there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, or servant. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. He's the grandfather of King David. And Jesus is King David's greater son. All the time they were in Moab, Naomi did not have a grandchild. All those 10 years, didn't have a grandchild. She had long since given up any hope of ever being a grandmother. But yet, here she is. God had planned it all along. Here she is, being a grandmother for the first time. What a joy it is to become a grandparent. And all the grandparents said, Amen. <laughs> Somebody says the thing about grandchildren is they're grand when they come and they're grand when they go. <laughs> But notice this as we finish. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. Now that genealogy is very, very important. Very important. It's a ten-line genealogy. Remember what it said about, God had said, we said this morning about the Moabites and Ammonites that they could not join the congregation of Israel up until ten generations? Ah. Well, this has been fulfilled here. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, in closing. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot, here's this bit we just read, Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amenadab, Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, note this, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Ah, Rahab. Remember Rahab? Remember when the spies went into the, the land and Rahab hid them in the attic when the soldiers came looking for them and says, they're gone. They're away that way. And they escaped. And she says, now remember me when you come to destroy Jerry. Remember me. And so you put that scarlet thread, that cord out your window and we'll make sure you and your family are safe. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I wonder, I would love to think that one of those two spies was called Salmon. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Whenever she was spared, and one of those two spies made sure that she was spared, I wonder was one of them called Salmon who married her. He brought her in and married her. I don't know for sure, but I'd like to think so. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. 
in the lineage of Jesus, there are four women. Four women, Rahab and Ruth, who were Gentiles, and Tamar and Bathsheba, who gave birth to Solomon. She's in Christ's lineage too. And they were Jews. So both Jews and Gentiles are in the lineage of Christ. So the blood of Jews and Gentiles is in Christ's veins. And why wouldn't it be? Because he came to save both Jew and Gentile. That's who he came to save. The whole world, Jew or Gentile, both of them. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And by the way, Bathsheba was an adulterer and Tamar was an adulterer. And Rahab was a harlot. The only pure one was Ruth. And yet they're all in the mix when it comes to the lineage of Christ to let us know that he receives all with all of the past, with all of the mistakes, with all of the sin, with all of the foolishness, with all, he still receives us all because he is our kinsman redeemer. Amen. So there is Ruth, romance, and redemption. What a wonderful wee story, isn't it? You read it in 15 minutes. And I said this morning, if you come back next week, I could read that all over again, and I could give you a whole new message. It's so full of things that I couldn't even say, because time would not allow us. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight that you truly are our kinsman redeemer. We thank you that you paid that greatest price that could be paid. Even your own blood paid our debt. We thank you that you redeemed us, you released us, you set us free, and we bless you that we're no longer chained to this world. We're no longer slaves to this world. Lord, that we have been redeemed as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So we give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.